Hello, this is Peter Woolfolk. First, let me say thank you so much for being a listener. Now, I want to alert you to our shiny new podcast website located at podpage.com. However, you can go directly to the podcast site located at www.publicrelationsreviewpodcast.com. There, you can contact me through email. You can leave a voice message. You can leave a review. You can read an episode blog and frequently learn about the podcast guests. You might also want to suggest podcast topic ideas or even suggest a guest. You can also let me know if you would like to receive our podcast listener logo that you can post on your social media. So I look forward to hearing from you about our new podcast website, www.publicrelationsreviewpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Public Relations Review Podcast and have a great day. Welcome. This is the Public Relations Review Podcast, a program to discuss the many facets of public relations with seasoned professionals, educators, authors, and others. Now, here is your host, Peter Woolfolk. Welcome to the Public Relations Review Podcast and to our listeners all across America and around the world. Now, question. How do you know if you're reaching the right audiences with the right messages? Are your messages consistent? Are you addressing your constituents' concerns? And how do you determine if your messages are effective? Well, my guest today has an answer to these and other related questions. She is the Associate Director for Communications Audits with the National Schools Public Relations Association, or NESPRA. She has more than 20 years of experience in public relations, working primarily in the education and healthcare sectors. Now, as NESPRA Associate Director, she is responsible for coordinating the NESPRA Communication Audit Service. Now, prior to joining NESPRA, she supported dozens of school districts and a myriad of school leaders across New York State during her 12 years with a shared services group and communication services group as well. She has been honored with the NESPRA Gold Medallion in 2013 and the NESPRA Golden Achievement Award in 2016, as well as more than 50 national and state publications awards during her time with the Shared Services Organization. She earned her master's degree in public relations from the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University, later serving as an adjunct professor and she earned her bachelor's degree in communications from Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. So joining us today from Rockville, Maryland, is Melissa Bram, APR. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Peter. It's wonderful to join you today. Well, let's start out first by making a distinction between a communications audit and a communications review. Absolutely. You know, there are so many communication professionals across the country who are helping their organizations share their messages and build relationships with their communities. And and that's what communication services are all about, is building those relationships, sharing information, and ideally listening um, as part of that communications process. But when you're talking about communication audits, you're talking about being very self-reflective on how you're communicating who you're communicating to, and um, whether or not those strategies that you're using are effective. It's about taking 
time to research um, what you're doing and to evaluate whether or not it's working so you can make better plans for the future. So sometimes audit is a scary word, especially when it's associated with financial things. But with communications, I really think it helps us be more effective in our profession. Well, having said that, now let's talk about actually what goes into an actual communications audit. How does one uh, recognize that they've had these problems? And then once you show up, what is it that you will be looking for to make this a comprehensive communications audit? Yeah. So, you know, for you know, anyone who's a professional communicator, I think time is our most precious commodity. We need it the most, and we have the least of it. That's also true for busy families. Um, but you know, in our in our work, we need to figure out how to make maximum use of our time. And now, auditing your communication program does take time, but it's time well spent because, as I mentioned before, you're going to you're going to figure out what you're doing and whether it's effective at achieving your goals. And then that ultimately is going to help you maximize um, your use of time and resources. So I say that initially because the idea of an audit, I think a lot of people don't do it because they're afraid of how much time it's going to take when they feel so busy already. So I think it's worthwhile to do. And when you get started in the process, you're going to want to take a look at your stakeholders. Who are the people who are really invested in, affected by or interested in what you do because ultimately when we're doing communications it's communications with people so who are those people who care about us or who should care about us and then once you figure out who the people are what are the strategies what are the tools that you're using right now to reach them a lot of individuals when they start doing a communication audit they're going to think about okay what are my there's my website, there's my newsletters, maybe I've got some email publications, maybe some print campaigns, maybe I do some special um, campaigns annually. They'll, they'll be looking at their social media channels, their video channels, and those are that's a lot of the things and stuff that you're using to reach people. Uh, you might call that a materials review. If you are, if you've been doing this for a while, you can get into your analytics reports. So for your websites, for your social channels, a lot of time there's data behind the scenes that will tell you which types of posts people are most responding to, which web pages are they most visiting, how much time do they spend on those pages, you know, which types of content get the most engagement. Um, social is great for understanding engagement. A lot of websites these days don't have a lot of features where there's true interaction, um, but some of the more sophisticated ones do. And so then, you know, you could look at, you know, are people submitting questions? So that data, gathering all that data is important. So, and we can spend more time talking about the data gathering piece of it, but really you want to understand what the data says about where your stakeholders are and where they actually want to be reached. Because what I find most often is that communications, you're constantly putting out information on all the possible channels, and you're wondering why nobody is listening. And the audit process is about figuring out maybe why they're not listening, and it could be that we're not using the right channels to reach the right people. And sometimes, in addition to looking at all those tools that you use now and looking at all your data, you want to supplement that by doing some additional research. And you know, there's primary research that you conduct yourself, and then there's secondary research where you might be looking at other data other folks have gathered. So 
a lot of times, um, you know, when I'm doing an audit, I'm going to be conducting focus groups. Focus group is a group of like individuals, so I might get, let's say I'm, I'm a business and I have frontline employees. Maybe I want to do a focus group of my frontline employees, and maybe I also want to do a focus group of my, my management team. And then maybe I want to do a focus group of my um, customers within a certain age range. So you're going to be figuring out who those different stakeholder groups are and getting you know 8 to 12 of them together for a conversation to help you understand their perceptions of your organization, how they want to be communicated with, and how they feel you're doing with your communications currently happening. One you of the can th- also... Oh, I'm sorry. I uh, One of the things, I, and I guess we're probably getting to effectiveness because I, I, you mentioned that in your focus group, so I'm sorry. So pick up where you were headed on, on that. Well, and I think, um, you know, a lot of organizations will do surveys as well, but what you're trying to figure out by taking a look at what am I doing now and what do my stakeholders want is find a matchup. So you're going to be better able to understand what works for these different groups of people. And you might be surprised at what you find out. I know I've done audits in the past with organizations where they were, you know, putting everything out on, you know, their websites, their social channels, and their newsletters, sending out to, you know, local regular TV news. But it turned out with this one particular group that spoke a non-English language, local radio was the best way to reach them. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it helps you be effective because you're figuring out how do people actually want to be communicated with. Well, I I think that's a very, very important note that that you're bringing there because, you know, I I certainly have done focus groups on different issues. And, uh, you know, all groups don't uh, do things the very same way. So it's important to make those distinguish between how they like to receive or not to receive uh, information. So I think that's hugely effective. Now, in terms of a focus group, uh, do you also work with them as to how to go about putting that together? Yeah, when I'm doing when I'm doing an audit, we run the focus group. So we'll give the the organization guidance on you know here here are the things you want to consider when you're figuring out who to invite. Um, I always say when you're doing focus groups, it's not a come one come all. It's not a uh, you know here's how you sign up for our focus groups. It's very strategic because you want even though the focus group is a group of like individuals, let's say it's all elementary parents, you still want to represent a a variety of viewpoints in that conversation and have a lot of different perspectives because it gives you better data to use your strategies, but also because it helps um, your stakeholders feel it was a valid process. So you need to be really thoughtful about who your focus group participants are. And so we provide coaching around that. And then it's really important to have a skilled facilitator running the conversation because when you have a group of uh, different individuals around a table, sometimes there's a person who will try to dominate the conversation, um, mm-hmm. not through any ill will. They're just, you know, you have some folks who talk a lot, and then you have some folks who never speak up. And so a skilled facilitator knows how to manage that and how to pull information out of the less engaged focus group participants and how to redirect um, maybe your, your high flyers in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, do you also, because it's also important to ask the right questions, do you also help them in developing what those questions should be? Absolutely, yes. That's a 
really important. And um, you know, when you can, as part of your audit process, combine doing surveys with doing focus groups, it's great when you can do a survey first and get rid of some of the more basic questions like, you know, which which of our newsletters do you read, and do you trust our, um, you know, website, and a, a lot of those kind of yes/no questions. If you can get them done in a survey beforehand and then see what kind of trends are emerging, you can refine your questions for your focus groups a little bit better because um, while surveys are great for understanding sort of perspectives on what's come before, your focus group is really good at getting stakeholder perspectives. You can get um, more down in the weeds and understanding the why behind what they think and what they want for the future. So um, yes, absolutely, we, we provide coaching around what questions make the most sense and tailoring to you know tailoring them to the needs of the organization, but also you know, we want to be able to adapt them based on what we're seeing coming out of our surveys. Then let's talk about the website a little bit, simply because the website is basically it's there for everybody to see and to, and to use. And uh, as you said, some groups like information some way or worded some way else, presented in different ways for different groups. How do you manage that with a website? Well, you know, it's interesting with websites. I think that a lot of times, and, and my, my wheelhouse is education, so, you know, I, I've worked a lot with public school systems. And I know the trends that I've seen is we tend to think of the website as the place to house all the information for everybody. But if you were to approach a website from a more corporate perspective and see it as kind of your you know, your first entry point as a marketing tool. Really, your main homepage, the the people who are going to go to, like, your general homepage usually are the people who are less familiar with your organization. Somebody who's a regular customer, a regular parent, a regular employee, they kind of know the places on your website that they use, and and they go right there. And quite often, they have their favorite pages bookmarked. But the person who's going to go to your general main homepage is usually somebody who's less familiar with your organization. So it's a great opportunity to market yourself to them. And so when we're looking at websites as part of an audit process, we're going to be looking at how you draw people in from that first interaction. How easy is it to navigate your site and get to different areas quickly with a minimum number of um, clicks? We're going to be looking at uh, accessibility. You know, there's free sites out there that will do accessibility checks on web pages, and you can see if there are you know contrast issues, different readability issues. So we're going to be look at, looking at all of those things as part of the auditing process and thinking, you know, there are some general best practices for websites, and they change on a regular basis. I usually, I think about every five years, districts should be thinking very seriously about either refreshing or, or updating their website design just because the um, expectations of our users and where they go to look at our websites changes. It used to be that you know, you didn't want any scrolling on a web page, but now everybody looks at it on their smartphones, so scrolling is sort of common practice for websites when you're looking on a mobile device. So there, that's the other good reason for doing an audit. You know, usually about every five years is a good time to do a really thorough audit, just because the way that our um, stakeholders are interacting with information changes so frequently. Now, when it comes down to different platforms, let's say Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, how do you go about advising the schools to use those those tools? Well, that's why having those surveys and focus groups are really so important. There's a lot of national data out there. I love to go to 
Pew Research Center, they have some great data on social media use. And, you know, from them, I know 81% of U.S. adults are on YouTube, 69% are on Facebook, but only 23% are on Twitter. So that's national data, and that can be very helpful. But then I want to know what my local population is doing. So we are always asking questions in our surveys and focus groups related to social media use and whether people turn to them for information about the organization because they, you'll find that you know, you'll know you have people in your leadership saying, okay, we need to be on Snapchat now. We need to be on TikTok now. And that might be because it's getting a lot of media coverage. But, you know, where where are my families? Where actually are my employees? Are they there? Does it make sense for me to divide my limited communications time and resources across so many different platforms? So we're going to be giving advice based on what the data says. And we can give, you know, recommendations on how to, you know, with each of those platforms, you need to be thinking about the typical users there. The folks who use Instagram and what they're looking for on Insta are a little bit different than the folks who are regularly using Twitter and what they're looking for in tweets. So you do, for each platform, there's a better approach to it and to content that will get more engagement. All that said, ultimately, we need to think about, okay, where are my stakeholders? And does it make sense for me to be in all those places? And, you know, maybe with social, you know, I recommend if you find out most of your community is on, let's say, just Facebook and Twitter, maybe I only maintain those two pages with regular, fresh, really strong custom content. But I might go ahead and save my handles on Insta and on Snapchat and TikTok just so other people can't take the handle, and maybe I'll, I put a message on there that it's not regularly maintained, but I just want to kind of keep it safe so somebody else can't take it in case I you know, want to add it later. But um, really focus your efforts around where your stakeholders are. Now, the other thing that comes up that uh, I just happen to think about when you have multi-ethnic groups, in other words, uh, you might have a school that's in a district that's uh, heavily Hispanic or uh, maybe one that uh, has a lot of Asian Americans there. How do you manage that when you're trying to develop your uh, communications audit? That's a really important part. Um, one of the things that we do is our um, survey tool can be done in a, a variety of languages. So part of our process is determining what are the um, Typically, it's usually like your top five languages, but I generally say if, if 10% or more of your community speaks a non-English language, you want to consider offering your, your surveys in that language. But then with the focus groups, um, we can conduct non-English speaking focus groups. Uh, generally in focus groups, we don't have any observers, but with the exception of those non-English speaking focus groups, we would need a translator in there with us. But um, I think it's important to include those populations because while there are a lot of tools, digital tools, that will allow for auto-translation, a lot of websites these days, um, you can you know, set, have a Google setting or other settings so it, it'll automatically translate the, contact, the text. It's not just straight language translation that is necessary. Sometimes those communities prefer to be um, reached in a different place than other communities. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the meaning behind what you're saying changes when it does a direct translation. So you really need kind of a live translator with their eyes on it instead of a digital translator. So it is important to, as we're seeing increasing diversity in our, in our populations, in our school communities, to be mindful of how we reach those folks and to think about going just beyond sort of your embedded Google Translate. 
You know, I'm glad you brought that part up. I recall not long ago I did a, a show with a Hispanic PR person, and he was saying that all Hispanics are not the same. So you've got to be mm-hmm. very careful about <laughs> assuming that they all speak the same language the same way or everything means the same thing. So that is a huge point to make sure whatever the, the majority group is that have someone from that group to do the translation for you to make sure that nothing comes off the rails and that you're as precise as you can be. Absolutely. That's a really, uh, and I think that's an area we see a lot in our audits is a lot of times communication departments struggling with having enough resources, enough people to be able to provide all the different languages, translations in their communities that are possible. You know, we have uh, districts who come to us where their families speak more than 100 different languages, Mm -hmm. and it might not be, it's probably not feasible for most communication departments to translate absolutely everything into all 100 languages. And so in that case, you know, sometimes the technology supplement is helpful. But, you know, if you know what your top languages are, be really focused on those at minimum. And there are um, translation services you can contract with where they can review documents. If you're lucky enough to be large enough and have an in-house translator, that's even better. I, I suggest that communication programs consider hiring in um, communication staff that have a, a second language that they speak because it can make that process so much easier when you're able to find that person. And we we are seeing in the field of communications um, growing diversity, but I think you know as you're, you're trying to grow your pipeline of communicators with language skills, you know, look to area colleges and maybe even high schools and think about offering internships to help build that pipeline. Well, Melissa, I'm kind of going off the audit rails now. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, not, not a problem at all. But, uh, you know, you shared a lot of information though, with us today. Is there anything that we have not covered when it comes to a communications audit? Well, you know, I would just say that when you're doing an audit, think of it as baseline data. It's going to let you measure against yourself later when you're trying to evaluate whether or not what you're doing is working. It's also going to give you great research so you can be more strategic about your communication plans. And it's for the busy communicator, it's going to help you figure out what you're doing that can be eliminated, which is beautiful when it happens. You know, are there things that can be reassigned elsewhere or also improved or added? And, and when you're doing the audit and you're starting to think about, here's all the information I got out of it, Look for some quick wins you can accomplish immediately, but then give yourself a reasonable timetable for implementing any major changes because if it's if it's too overwhelming, you're never going to get around to doing it. So be kind to yourself and give yourself time to make the changes that the data says need to be made. And hold yourself accountable to you know reviewing at least annually your progress on the changes that uh, and recommendations that came out of your audit. Well, Melissa, let me say thank you for being a guest in our program today. I can see right now that you've you provided our listeners with a wealth of information that they can uh, take back to uh, their office and, uh, and certainly benefit from. Wonderful. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to thank my guest, uh, Melissa Bram, from the National Schools Public Relations Association for being our guest today. And if you've enjoyed the show, please uh, give us a great review and also share this information with your colleagues. But also be certain to also listen to the next edition of the Public Relations Review Podcast. Thank you. This podcast is produced by Communication Strategies 
an award-winning public relations and public affairs firm headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us. Hi, this is Peter Woolfolk speaking. Now, first of all, thank you so very much for listening to the podcast. Now, I am very excited to let you know that the podcast is now available on Amazon Alexa. You know the drill. Simply say, Alexa, play Public Relations Review Podcast, and she'll take it from there. And again, thank you for listening. And if you enjoy the program, please become a subscriber. Now, on to the podcast. <laughs> 